you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. The Around the League podcast starts now. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the League podcast. My name is Dan Hendricks, and I'm joined by a room filled with heroes. Chris Wessling, Mark Sessler, and Greg Rosenthal. What up, boys, from MetLife Stadium. Oh, hey, Dan. Super Bowl 48 in the books. Dan and Greg are already out of their chairs, and the podcast just started. Well, Dan was standing up to start the podcast, and we're all seated. And I'm looking out here at some confetti on the... What's field and the Super Bowl just happened and our season is over and we just pounded out 15 posts? I mean... I wish we were pounding out 15 beers because I'm exhausted. <laughs> Let's set the scene. We are in the auxiliary box at MetLife Stadium in the Meadowlands from the Seahawks side of the end zone looking down at the confetti on the field. The players are long gone. 43-8. Seahawks win over the Broncos in a lopsided Super Bowl that nobody predicted. Oh, oh, wait. Yeah, really, <laughs> oh, wait. Hold on here. Well, you said the Broncos would have 17 points. You weren't even close, man. Final score prediction made by me last week, 42-17 Seahawks. Flamed on Twitter for that prediction. But let's take it back further. Coincidentally, December 2nd, Greg. Yes. Oh, this is good. December 2nd, 2013, exactly two months ago, I wrote... Get ready, people. The first Super Bowl blowout is coming, and sometime it was the night that the Seahawks blew out the Saints at home, and I predicted that, and I got flamed, and Greg Rosenthal had the most memorable reply, which was saving this for future ridicule in New Jersey. Greg? Well, I have to admit, um, when you're right, you're right, and you know maybe the Seahawks have been building to this moment for four years, and maybe they're one of the greatest defenses of all time, and maybe 
one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time just got served the highest scoring offense scored eight points but despite all that it's all about dan hansis that's really <laughs> the big takeaway this, this that, is, they, that dan hansis that's that's what we should start <laughs> the podcast with it's all about predictions and us and here I am That's defending you on Twitter. Someone said on a scale of 1 to 10, how smug will Dan Hansen be in the podcast tonight? I said Dan doesn't do smug. Oh, yes. Today I will because this has been a, this has been a big journey for me all the way through. This is really a night. No, not, it's, it's not a night. It's a big moment, moment for you, Dan. I will say this, though, if I could be honest. The reason I said that two months ago is because that was a night where they were playing at their apex. And I always thought that... They were the most talented team by a long stretch, and if they were playing well, and I assume they would throughout the rest of the season, I just thought you know, I Dan, thought they were the best no, team no, in the league. Dan, no. if I were you, hold on here. Yes. I, I would uh, <laughs> cut off the avenue of trying to act as though you went through with some deep analysis. You threw something out there. You had a few beers in you. I was and, at the office working. Well, I don't think that changed. No, this, this is... <laughs> you threw it out there, and just sit with it. It's good. And you don't need to back the truck up and analyze it. We're all... We you, all. I, no, nobody wants me to back up the truck. And, but I will. I will move on now. We will move forward, but... Listen, I'm well, happy about no, it. What else, what else is there? I, I think we know. should do the whole podcast on your prediction. That's it. Let's just talk about that. In which wing of your house are you going to keep the Lombardi crew? <laughs> well, it, it depends. It really depends. Because uh, I figured there will be a big financial fallout for me. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting a lot of phone calls, um, a lot of media requests. I haven't checked my phone yet. I assume it's going to be pretty wild. Now, Mark, you you are dying. Is that a, tr- a fact or not? You you sound like this week has taken a lot out of you. You're playing hurt here. Uh, I, my voice obviously sound like the middle Brady in that episode where he was attempted to sing at a choral event. Um, I can't believe it was 1972. Best if we just continue on. You were, you were down in the Seahawks locker room after the game. The, they, life's dreams culminated tonight. What, what was it like? What was the scene like? You know, I was down there with Dan, so really all I could focus on was what Dan was doing. And my pick. And, yeah, yeah. And it was, but there were other things I witnessed. Percy Harvin had, you know, I think the guy, he said this week he's had a frustrating season. It's been trying. Huge night tonight, and he was just beaming in the locker room. Very happy. That team, I mean, that the theme all week long was we are unified. We are, we're going to speak the same language. We're going to approach this game the same way. And I think, you know, Dan and I were both there for Carroll lifting the trophy and giving one of the better speeches I've ever heard in there. That was Mark and I were both in the locker room for... Uh, Carol's speech in which he he came into the locker room, he brought his guys into the center of the room, uh, pushed the media back a little bit, but we were still right in the mix, observing it all. And he he gave about a four-minute speech to his players in which, you know, he thanked them for what they were able to do. He went down like a laundry list of people who had stepped up in the game, gave a special shout-out to Dan Quinn, uh, to the 12th man in Seattle. And I thought it was a really interesting uh, thing to see how close these guys were and how and the bond between this team and this and this coach it was really to me Carol was the perfect guy in the perfect city for the perfect team and it was uh, and it all culminated tonight flipping that a little bit like I talked to a couple Seahawks players who were pretty open I thought they would be guarded on this this front but I asked like Tony McDaniel did Denver because they looked just lifeless from the minute Percy Harvin took that second half kickoff back, he basically said, 
they looked like dead men walking. They looked like guys who had given up out there. I mean, and they did to us. It was obvious. Richard yeah. Sherman said, too, on NFL Network that the receivers, the linemen, they weren't blocking as hard on the bubble screens in the second half, that they, their will had been broken. And this is a historic offense that was used to pushing everyone around, and suddenly it's 21 nothing right after halftime. I, mean, it, I know you picked the blowout. Uh, four of the five ATL writers actually picked the Seahawks win. Right. You were the only one that thought the Broncos were going to win, which was a, a pretty popular uh, pick. I'm talking to Chris Wessling, of course. You know, as someone who thought the Broncos were going to win, what, what were you thinking here and what were the takeaways for you, Wes? Uh, I was thinking that everybody was underrating the Broncos' offense, which was, you know, we saw they could just throw an onslaught on anybody at any given time, and it just never happened today. They set the wrong tone with the botch snap safety and never recovered from that. They had plenty of opportunities with the Seahawks blowing red zone chances, and they just couldn't rally back from that. And I think that kickoff return to start the second half was the nail in the coffin. You, I thought uh, Bruno Mars' performance really <laughs> took anything that was left of the Broncos. I think a lot of the Broncos thought, oh, this guy was going to do poorly, and then we would get energy. But then he killed out there. Bruno did great. Did he? That's true. That was kind of a secret moment in the evening where – not football-related on any level, but pivotal for Denver. <laughs> Dan actually left our little press box area. We're in a separate NFL.com-only room, basically, they built for us. We're writing some first-half takeaways. We're eating. We're talking about the game. Dan leaves to make sure he gets better sound quality for the Bruno Mars. Well, so that's like, where his head is at. I like to, uh, let's admit, I was obviously I was pretty on my game today. But uh, I like to consider myself well-rounded. I wanted to hear what, what, what Mars sounded like, and I'm a Chili Peppers fan. But then it was too cold out, and the weather obviously was not a big issue. It was perfect for the Super Bowl, but it got a little chilly, and I had to come back in. That's the first attempt ever I've heard somebody tried to paint themselves as well-rounded because they like a pop star. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Wes. <laughs> so, to get back to the game, yeah. the, the thing that struck me was the Broncos' offensive line in that first half, that we gave them so much credit all year, and I, w I watched a lot of tape the last couple weeks, and Chris Clark, I thought, played great, and you know, Orlando Franklin on the right side, and Manny Ramirez got a lot of love. No one got near Manning. They got worked. I mean, Chris Clemens and Cliff uh, Averill, those are my MVPs. Those would be my two co-MVPs for the pressure that they got on Manning. You wrote posts all week, Mark, about how the Seattle defense wanted them to get Manning to move his feet, and they got that done. He was under pressure. Averill basically caused two turnovers. Give him, give him the hardware. I, I agree on Averill and Clemens. I would split the MVP between the two of them, and our boss, John Marvel, a Broncos fan, got a hold of Elway after the game, and Elway told him, he said, they were just so relentless. So that was Elway's big takeaway. I think that speaks to what Seattle said all week when you kept trying to drill down with that, what are you going to do differently against Manning? And they said, we're not going to do anything differently. We're going to do what we do every game all season long. When I spoke to Avril, I said, you know, up in our press box, we talked about you as a potential MVP candidate in this game. But what was it that you did in this game? He said, you know, yes, it was us rushing the passer, but with our secondary, locking those receivers down for an extra second or two, that caused major issues for Manning. That's true, because... A lot of it was, it wasn't always immediate pressure, and you're used to seeing it get out of his hand so quickly. And even when he held the ball and he did throw it and he didn't have a ton of pressure, 
we have great, you know, all 22 vision here at the game. So you can really see the coverage. There weren't holes for him to throw it to. They were all contested passes. And think about it. It's kind of logical. They have a, a front four push that can get to the quarterback. They have the best secondary in the league. And if you don't establish a running game, which the Broncos never came close to doing, then you're not keeping them off balance. I mean, it's almost... Um, it's almost strange that, that so many people picked against the Seahawks when you realize if they took the Broncos' running game out of it, how vulnerable they were. I mean, it's not like the Broncos have a great backfield. Well, I think people thought Eric Decker, Demarius Thomas, Wes Welker, Julius Thomas, those guys could win more one-on-one battles. And, and, they, they, did. and they didn't. And that's why it was hard to give away the MVP. They right. gave it to Malcolm Smith, the backup linebacker. Who, who That's, basically he's a was, trivia question, basically, because a lot of people won't remember that one. All he was was in the right spot at the right time, but it's kind of like in the season, the Defensive Player of the Year vote got split because there's too many guys. Chancellor had a big game. Oh, yeah. uh, had a the game linebackers, K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner, had a big game. You could have picked anyone. You could have just picked the Seahawks' defense. would have been a lot of Why fun. Why don't we just go start going outside the box with that? Why does it have to be a single guy? Because if there was ever a uh, MVP that deserved to be given out to an entire unit, it was this game where no one really jumped out individually on the stat sheet, but it was just a dominating effort from all phases of the defense. It was pretty special to watch. I think when we picture Manning's happy feet, we picture pressure, but like you said, if his first, second, and third reads aren't open, even if there's not pressure, he starts to dance back there. Mm. And I think that was noticeable tonight. They did bring a lot of heat, but he started the happy feet thing awfully early in the game. And I think you also have to give credit to the Seahawks for how great they were tackling. The Broncos are a very good after-catch team, the best screen-pass team in the NFL. The Seahawks are an even better screen-pass defense team. I felt like we knew that Denver was, well, they were in a lot of trouble right away. But you, the, the, if there was any team offensively that could climb out of a hole and get hot and get in a rhythm. But then we saw a couple plays where Seattle had Manning fleeing the pocket and running you know, 15 yards laterally and throwing, you know, passes to nobody. It's like, they have solved this offense. What, and why don't we talk about Manning a little bit? Because what, and I'll start with you, Mark, what, in, in your estimation, actually, we'll start with Wes, because Wes, you wrote the, the post up tonight about Peyton Manning and what this loss means to, let's just say, his legacy, Wes. Well, I think he did have a chance today against a great defense to have his second Super Bowl title and you would have to put him, a lot of people would put him as the consensus top quarterback of all time if he would have won this game. I think he would have been. That would have been the big story. There would still be a debate, but right. a lot of, a lot more people. And I think now, okay, he's got more championship losses than wins. He's back to a sub-500 playoff record. I don't think you can say he's the best quarterback of all time. He had the chance to do that, and he didn't. Oh, he didn't just lose. They scored eight points. Right. Remember, I, you know, my score, I think, for the final was 24-13. You said, what, the... the greatest scoring offense in NFL history is only going to score 13. They were in single digits. They, they were the Jag. I know they put up over 300 yards and the yardage looks close, but with the four turnovers, with the final score, they were like the Jaguars or the Raiders offense tonight. That's how good the Seahawks defense is, is that they made the best scoring offense in NFL history basically the Jaguars. It seemed like an accomplishment when they took them eight minutes to get 50 yards on a drive and then ultimately ended in an interception. But that's how hard it was. That Their longest drive when the game was still in reach ended up in a turnover and only went about 50 or 60 yards. I don't think it damages his legacy at all. Uh, I don't think they would have done anything close without him this season. 
at all? Well, look, I mean, this was not, I don't want to blame the game on Peyton Manning. He did not play well, but they ran into a buzzsaw, and I think we'll look back and say the Seattle defense, and right out of the shoot, I know Chris saying Ravens defense much better, and that's going to be an argument, but the conversation about who the greatest quarterback of all time is isn't over now because Peyton Manning lost the Super Bowl. I think it would be very unfair if people spin this into Manning choking because right. I agree with that's you, That's sort of what I'm not, saying. There's yeah. nothing he could have done. Yeah. He could have played the best game of his life and they win the, yeah, the Seahawks win. What we'll now understand after this game is that this was the year that Manning had the greatest regular season ever and then just happened to go up against one of the best defenses. Oh, and by the way, like you know, John Elway looked steamed when he walked by Dan and I downstairs. He, look he looked happy. absolutely furious. But what quarterback knows better about taking your team to a Super Bowl? Will you run into a dynasty like the 89 Niners? And there's just nothing you could have done tonight to change the narrative. I have never seen Peyton Manning as rattled and about to be emotional as he was in the post-game press conference tonight when someone brought up a question, and I believe they used the word embarrassed in the question. I'm not sure if they used Wes Welker's quote to get into it. Wes Welker said it was an embarrassing performance. Wes and, is 0, 0 for 3 now. Yeah, 0 for 3. Very quiet not game. Your boy uh, Walter Thurman had a nice one. And Manning started stuttering a little bit, and he said, I wouldn't call it embarrassment. And he said, there's a lot of pros in this locker room that worked really hard. And he started, you could see him getting angry and you could see him kind of stuttering and kind of spitting out words, just waiting to get to his point. And then finally he just said, you know, embarrassment, frankly, that's an insulting word. You know, that is not a word that I would use. And he moved on. And it was just, it was weird to see who Manning always, I mean, Wesseling always calls Manning this robot. And for a second there, you just... You just saw it all building up inside of him, kind of like you saw in, during the game when you saw the shots of Eli Manning, how, how frustrated he was. Manning set another record, by the way, but this is by far the worst record Manning owns. He uh, finished 34-49 for 280 yards, one touchdown, two picks, 73.5 rating, but the 34 completions are the most by any quarterback in Super Bowl history. So that's another record for Peyton. This one is not one. And Demarius Thomas well. has the most receptions now. Well, yeah, he has the two longest pick sixes in Super Bowl history. Right? That we found out that's erroneous. We remember that James Harrison had a hundred yard pick six oh, right. at Kurt Why? But I, where did that stand? It, it, it came. It came via Twitter, and it, it was just apologies. The way the way these things work. Two good ones, though. I mean, yeah. two ones I was Sounds there good. for, and they were exciting plays. Well, the way the NFL works is Peyton Manning has a chance again next year. <clears throat> to change the narrative, rewrite history, right. change what we talk about of his legacy. But you also have to think, no, Sean Marino might not be back. Decker, the Bron- the Broncos fear losing him, according to our uh, NFL media insider Ian Rappaport. So this offense, Corporate man, well, this, this like offense that, that might be the last time we say that <laughs> in the 2014 yeah. season. This offense might not come back as high-flying as they were this year. Can I just say, with all of us standing around a room right now in suits, it's like I'm with like Greg Gumble, Gumble, uh, Kurt Gowdy, and I don't know Dan Deardorff. I'll be Troy Aikman, maybe. I also <laughs> want to <laughs> just point out that it's past one o'clock in the morning, and we're standing up here delivering the podcast goods, and this is the first podcast we've had since Stitcher gave us their best podcast oh, yeah. of the year award See, or best sports podcast. So thank you for voting. Up. Everybody wants to get caught up with, oh, the Seahawks put a stamp on an amazing year. 
But no, that's not what this is about. It's about us, and it's about the Stitcher coming back to Culver City champs. So we want to thank all of our listeners for who voted for us. Yes. That was great. Thank you very much. So it, it's, yes. our, it's our legacy, and uh, our it's narrative. the Seahawks' legacy. I mean, let's talk about where this defense stacks up, because we, we talked about it during the week. One of these two sides has a chance to kind of be one of those historical teams that you remember, especially if they put together a dominant performance, and it doesn't get much more dominant than this. I think in the ultimate pass-first league against the ultimate pass-first team, I mean, they have the big hammer. They have the weapon. They can stop any passing attack. And I think they're there. I think they're there in that conversation with the 85 Bears and the 2000 Ravens and the 2002 Buccaneers. Why not? I think we tend to diminish what came a long time ago. And that 85 Bears defense, and especially that 2000 Ravens defense, the second one is forgotten because... Against the bunch of cupcakes. Well, they did not face this offense in the Super Bowl. Let's put it that way. What Seattle did against what we've seen Denver do all year is about as impressive as, as in a performance as you could ask for. I don't know, but that 2000 Ravens defense maybe still... They're not better than the 2000 Ravens. That defense is the best I've ever seen. It's better than what everyone thinks the 85 Bears were. The 85 Bears were dominant, but the Ravens were the best I've ever seen. I, what the Seahawks have an advantage on all those guys is even in the salary cap era, the free agency era, they've got a chance to keep this going for a few years. Yeah. Russell, William, Russell Wilson's contract is so low... They've got most of these guys on defense are young and coming back and don't have a lot of major contract issues. So I, I think this has a chance to be dynasty. Oh, stop uh, it. Well, a little early for Well, the by the way, we saw tonight what happens when you have a Percy Harvin that's healthy, too. Difference makers. Well, that's assuming that he'll ever really be healthy. But when he is, obviously, he proved it. Mark Sessler. Mark, you know, oh, you don't like right. taking the spotlight a lot, but let's give it to you. Mark Sessler picked MVP, Percy Harvin. Yeah, but then the, uh, the whoever votes for this picked a, a linebacker. The oh, All right, never mind. I completely so, forgot about that. Well, we got we got fed erroneous information in this box at one point that Percy was the MVP. Right, and that was when I was texting Dan saying, "This is a big part of tonight's podcast. I know we're gonna have, <laughs> we're gonna have the Kansas block up front for 20, 25 minutes, but then if we can squeeze in forty five yeah. seconds about the Harvard prediction, but I was wrong. Can I? Can you I? Let, go ahead. No, go ahead. You know, it's an also cool prediction about Percy Harvin. Mm. This worked out exactly how we thought it would in August when he underwent hip surgery. That they wouldn't need him all year. Mm. That he wouldn't, because hip mm. surgery is so major, he probably wouldn't contribute until the playoffs. And then, I think I wrote exactly this. His biggest contribution will come in the Super Bowl. You know how that was a good point? You got two of us to go, hmm. Mm. That's like the That's verbal cue. If you're listening at home <laughs> and you're just kind of tuning out, you're in your car, someone just... You know, path you, you're not paying attention, but you hear the hmm, listen up, back it up 10 seconds. You got some gold right there. How rare is he that he can play 40 snaps all year and look as absolutely lightning fast as he did tonight? That's not every guy. The Broncos had no chance of stopping those uh, handoffs. He came through so quickly, and you get to credit Wilson for handing it off so smoothly, too. They're, they're such a fast team that it strikes you being in person. Harvin, and then especially the defense. Wagner and Wright are covering some ground. Yeah. Thomas is covering some ground. I mean, they have such a fast Cliff defense. Cliff Avril is probably one of the fastest defensive ends in the And like you said, they're all staying together. Rapport says Bennett will be back. They're going to try to work out you know, a long-term deal for Earl Thomas. You know, Pretty much they don't have many big free agents this year. Golden Tate is probably the biggest, and they can certainly live well, without him. One thing on Harvin, I asked him like a couple days ago, 
do you listen? Do you have a play that they're working on for you? You don't have to tell me what it is, but something special. And he laughed, and he's like, "No, nah, I can't talk to you about it." But he was kind of had a look in his eye. And then we saw that reverse right out of the gate, and they used it again. And I asked Zach Miller in the locker room, "Like, listen, was that from the start? Did you know that was going to come when it did early on?" He said, "Yep, we've been practicing that all week." And they used it. He said more in the game to deceive Denver and throw them off. So even when he didn't get the ball, he completely threw Denver's defense off their axis. Who are these people down on the field in front of us I right don't like gray-coated. There's disorders. a bunch of, it's almost like there's some type of meeting that, and they don't know we're here watching it, and they're preparing for something, because it's pretty cold down there now, and nobody seems to be in a rush. They're sponsors, or they're related to the league, or they work the game, and they're oh on the Oh my god, field. I know who they are. They're taking pictures. They're shadowy league figures, all <laughs> gathered in one spot. It does look good. We you, should... think, you think they don't know that we're watching them? Of course they know. They're watching us. I'm, I'm afraid that one of them is all of a sudden we're going to look, and he's going to have a pair of binoculars pointed right at us. Um, we should get down there and take... Our 17th group photo of the week <laughs> yes. on, on the field. We're going to have like a touching family album by, uh, by the time we get back to California. I just want to rewind back to the where the Seahawks defense um, uh, you know, comes in in terms ranks. of ranks. In term, thank you, Mark. It's very I saw you struggling there a little bit. Literally, uh, it is the next day now. It is now Super Bowl Monday. Um, when you look at, all right, if, there, if a, this is going to be a big talk, NFL AM is going to give about 90 minutes every day from now until the end of July for this topic. 85 Bears beat the Patriots led by Greg, help me out, Tony Eason. Yes. Yeah. The 2000 Ravens in the Super Bowl beat the Kerry Collins-led New York Giants, and not a great New York Giants team at that. This Seahawks team beat the greatest offense of all time, led by arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, to a pulp. That, to me, bonus points for the stage that it was on and who they beat. I'm just saying that they deserve to be in the conversation as number one all time. Well, it's a different conversation. It's just one game. Yeah, it's a different okay. conversation in terms of this best Super Bowl performance. Number one defense all year. In terms of best Super Bowl performance, there, there's some great ones, especially early on. But it'll, it's right up there. It, if you're basing it on the whole season, it's a little tougher. But it's I at least think like they're they were, in the mix. It's not like they were a dud defense all year, underachieving, and then showed up tonight. No, they weren't. But the Ravens had Trent Dilfer they had to rescue week after week. Oh, well, I mean, there's a you know, Seattle is a more balanced team for sure, and they have no. You can't look at any part of Seattle's you know roster and say weak spot because there isn't one. But Greg's just said it. If you want to talk about best Super Bowl performance by a defense. That's tonight. Well, it's weird. We've gotten this far. We haven't mentioned the second-year quarterback who just won his first Super Bowl, who has helped represent this sort of new wave of quarterbacks that we've been talking about for two years nonstop with Wilson, Love, Kaepernick. And here he is. He's the first one to get a Super Bowl. And yet it feels a little bit like an afterthought to all this. Not that he didn't do his job and play great, and I thought he had big moments early with the third down, but he didn't seem that that high on the list of reasons they won. It's crazy that he would be an afterthought. Well, and maybe we gave a little short trip to Wes drop the, dropping the dynasty word because because of his low salary and, and the fact that they have so many great players around him, this guy, they have, because he was not the star tonight. I mean, uh, this was a game where the defense carried the load, but he's He's a guy that I think... He played, he played a great game. He, yeah, he, he sailed two passes on the first two drives. 
and then really settled in and made some outstanding throws and made plays with his feet from the beginning of the game. I think he has Brady DNA, and I think if you if you look at the Seahawks, you laugh, Greg, but really, if no, you I look was just at thinking, the I roster... Mean, Giselle's got that, you know. They, I don't. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> off the rails. If you, We are off the rails and on route three. Um, no, if, I'm going to say that's expensive DNA, you know what I'm saying? It is, but Russell's DNA is also <laughs> excellent. And no, I, I think when you have a roster this talented, barring injury, I don't see any way this team isn't right back in the mix next year. Um, I think this is a team that will have another chance and another chance after that to continue to pile up Lombardi's. There's a shot here for this team to be the next Patriots. Sorry, Greg, the window's closed. There's a lot of great teams. It's a window closed sound effect. (laughs) Part of the reason I think we won't give that much credit to Wilson is because the game was so weird. It couldn't have been a bigger beatdown in the first quarter. 161 yards to 11 for Seattle. But it was only 8 nothing, and only 6 points from the offense. Second quarter, the Broncos outgained the Seahawks 112-18. to 18, And yet the score was 14 points for the Seahawks. You know then Harvin gets the kick return. So it's basically 29 nothing, And Seattle's offense had more or less scored six points. They had another touchdown, you know, that was on a short field. But they had done very little to get to 29 nothing. Yeah, those turnovers were backbreakers. And then the Percy Harvin. We need to get into John Fox's coaching a little bit. Mm. Matt Prender can kick it out of the end zone whenever he wants to. So they do a pooch kickoff attempt to start the third quarter with the most dangerous kickoff returner of the last 10 years. Fair. Well, that's a great point. Not to mention the punt. The punt, which, it was which I said was, you could argue, was the most nonsensical punt in the history of football. The challenge early in the game, not that it Mark made Lewis a difference, but was like, why did he challenge that play? Even little things like first down and 20 and they run a play-action fake. Who's falling for that on You know what? This is a team that has zero experience this season playing from behind like that, playing in a situation where they've been throttled early with their own hmm. mistakes, and not from a, just from a coaching angle – Whatever their game plan was, was thrown out of loop within 10 minutes of this thing starting. It was the weirdest first six minutes of a Super Bowl we've ever seen. But Fox, I mean, players all the way up to the coaching staff, they've been dominating teams all year long. Suddenly they're getting their butt kicked. We like to pretend that like coaches and GMs, they construct these teams and they're these masterminds. So I, I kind of like that Carroll and Schneider get the Super Bowl and not Fox and Elway because they've been building to this moment for four years, whereas... It's hard for me still to buy Fox as a particularly great coach. I like Fox. I think he seems like a really nice guy. He'd be cool to drink a beer with. But I feel like I fell for the banana in the tailpipe. I mean, he turned <laughs> back into John Fox. I'll probably never be able to forgive him for that punt. It was one of the most stupid things I've ever seen. Can we get a banana in the tailpipe drop? Do we have clearance for that? That would be awesome. How do you punt the ball 29 to nothing? You're on the Seahawks 39-yard line. Uh. And there's still two full quarters to play. I, I just don't get it. I, I can't root for a guy like that. I didn't like. I also didn't like. Maybe I'm in the minority on this, but I believe they were down twenty-two nothing, facing a, a fourth and two or a fourth and a long one, and he opted to go for it instead of uh, kicking a field goal, field goal that maybe would have got him on the board. Would have you know Chain, maybe got him some momentum. Got him some momentum. Instead, they call like an out pattern to Demarius Thomas that had no chance of working. I mean, it wow. just. 
it had no chance of working because Chris, I think was it Clemens or Averill, I forget which one. I think it was Clemens that time. Got around the edge in a second. I mean, that was get the ball out winning. quick or run the ball or kick the field goal and and feel good about yourself a little bit. I just, you know, I I just think it was one of those games. Yes, that's easily second guess, but it's one of those games where almost everything he did went wrong. And he was just he wasn't the reason they lost, but everybody well, kind of had it a bad day. It was such a dominant play of play by Seattle that had they converted that and scored. I don't think it would have mattered. I'm not sure there's one play we can look at or two plays. They got thumped. Let's give a little love to the 12th man. Not only did Seattle just win its first pro championship in any sport in more than 30 years, they're an incredible fan base. They came out strong here. They're obviously great in Seattle. And they had an impact on the game. That first play of the game, sound was a factor. Manny Ramirez told you that, right? Yeah, Manny Ramirez said after the game, he said, we were backed up against the end zone and we could not hear the staff. Have you, and that was a huge that was that the huge, in the Super Bowl. Right? That was yeah. a huge play in the game just to start it that way. Like There must have been a lot of... Pat yourself on the back, 12th man. <laughs> a lot of that, sphincters getting tightened over there on the, <laughs> the Broncos sideline. And to Sessler's point that he's made for months and months now, it was definitely... We were a little uh, hermetically sealed in this in this auxiliary box, but when I stepped outside in the beginning of the game just to get a vibe of the place, it was the stadium was on fire. It was loud. It was a nice in the outdoor venue. It just it just felt right. The chill in the air. It was a great it was a great spot for a Super Bowl. And uh, if you, as long as you weren't in the Secaucus train station trying to get here, this this was like a, a place that handled the Super Bowl very well. Can I before because I think we need to go to sleep at some point. Because, Greg, you want us up in the morning cranking out more high-level content. Yeah, so. I think we need some posts in, like, five hours from yes. now. That should be <laughs> I just want a couple of tidbits. When Mark and I were downstairs, I need to impart. Um, Chris Christie walked by us. That was interesting. Yes. Um, a more slender version of not, that. Yeah, not as rotund as I thought he would be. Bill Murray walked by us. And it was funny because first Peyton Manning walked by us. And you said he, um, uh, Elway looked angry. When Manning looked by, walked by, it was almost like... He looked like a truck had hit him. Like it was like I can't believe yeah, this is what's going. Like and then Bill Murray comes like bounding past us with like a goofy grin on his face and like a silly jacket on. That was really funny. And then inside the locker room, Tavares Jackson, um, I can't remember who the player was, an offensive lineman, goes, "Hey TJ, what ring size you got?" And uh, Jackson holds up his pinky and he goes, "I want it for this." So TJ Tavares Jackson wants a pinky Super Bowl ring. <laughs> Maybe he thinks he's have you know four more coming. And you didn't write that up immediately when you came up as our top story, Dave. That, that went on a hold for the uh, front page of the website tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's hear about Marshawn Lynch. Oh yeah, Marshawn Lynch are in the locker room, and uh, this this guy in a all red. He was uh, wearing a I couldn't even tell who it was. He was all red, red sweatshirt, hood pulled over his head, red sweatpants hat and then gold like beats by Dre headphones goes up to the t- speakers in the locker room and plugs in his iPhone and then turns it all the way up um, it was an Oakland rap artist and then when he turns around I see it says beast mode across the front of the sweatshirt mm. it's Marshawn Lynch and he just starts dancing alone to this song he turns the volume all the way up to to the point where you had Seahawks staffer is like nervous. Can you looking can around. you do the dance while you're? Explaining I could. It? it was kind of like it was like this. It was like arms are just waving and. I and believe it, that's hyphy, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I I couldn't tell you. Uh, hyphy. What's that? That's like the Oakland rap scene. Hyphy. Oh. 
Wow, Wes. Ow! Wes has never heard of Bruno Mars or Miley Cyrus. That old pop star. But he knows that. You kids and your pop stars. And then he's like, hypey. It's like really big on the West Coast scene. No, but he's dancing and he's not making eye contact with anybody. He's not calling over any teammates. Um, after dancing for a couple minutes, the song ends. And he like calmly and quietly, never says a word, goes back to his iPod, hits play again. This starts the same song over again. Um, and dances some more, and then quietly slips away. We're gonna do that right wow. after this podcast is over. Oh yeah, <laughs> boom. <laughs> um, any any final thoughts from MetLife Stadium before we get on the shuttle back to Manhattan? I think we're gonna have to wheel Mark out of here like weekend at Bernie's. He's had a rough week. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> and if, it, if if played it out that way, we'd like get into some zany adventures together. Do well, some lady I, friends for Wes? Yeah, sure. Speaking of lady friends, at the bar there's a, a woman named Beverly who every time we <laughs> saunter by the bar stops us and she's like, where's Wes at? I like him. <laughs> and then she slipped me her number to give to Wes last oh night. Oh my gosh. And uh, apparently I've heard through sources informed of the situation that maybe Wes will call her. Very mm. sorted. I don't, I don't know about that. Very sorted. I'm, I'm looking forward to packing up here we're almost done it's one of my favorite moments every year is kind of walking out of the super bowl stadium and you just feel like the season's over you're happy that the week is over because it's a it's a grind of a week you're kind of happy that this is our job we get to watch football for a living and now it's like i think now my new favorite moment is one o'clock in the morning the super bowl's over we've just crowned the champion and we, you know, put an exclamation point on it with the Around the League podcast. What's special Be back about here next year. This Super Bowl. Well, not here, that, uh, but wherever We walk out of the stadium into a darkened abyss. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a parking lot in the middle again. Here we are in the middle of New Jersey. Yep. Highway walking will be the way we get home on foot. I'd be remiss if I didn't say how much I loved my first experience. Not only at the Super Bowl, but New York City. What a great city. I can Breaking see why, news. I can see why Greg and Dan like it so much, but I, you know, it was I don't great. always love huge cities. You know, I lived on an island. It was great. <laughs> Bring the Super Bowl back to New York. It can be the one cold weather place. Do it in New Orleans. A couple other nice places. That, I, that's we can leave Jersey City out of it. There. They earned another one. They earned another <laughs> I, chance. I wrote earlier today. This is like 14 hours ago, I think, by now. But uh, that this was a different like. Um, Mara, John Mara said, the Giants co-owner, that this this event this week shows that other cold weather non-dome stadiums, you know, it, it's a good it's a good vouch for them. But at the same no. time, you can't. But he also said there's no other New York. Right. right. You, yeah, yeah that's they, a bad idea. There's no way. The New York is such an outlier. The event was handled so well, uh, and everything went well. It was a safe. Everyone was safe. It was well attended. All the different events. But at the same time, New York's the only city where it could have been. It was. You know, on fire in Times Square at Super Bowl Boulevard, and then you went four blocks away, and you wouldn't even know Super Bowl's in town. New York is the only city in this country that's bigger than the Super Bowl. So if you're that's if, a good thing. I no, like well, that. Well, to me, the rest I, of the like, I guarantee you, John Mara wasn't walking a mile to the Broncos press conference in Henry <laughs> Weather. I think Mara's been to Iowa City, Iowa, which is a promising location for a future Super Bowl. I like bustling, I, large. I like when a city is on fire and the Super Bowl is the only thing about the city. That wasn't the case in New York, but at the same time, I love New York. So, yeah, bring it back. They did a good job. Hopefully they get lucky with the weather again. Seriously, though, this is this is it for us, but we're not 
we're not going anywhere. We'll be back with another podcast later this week, late in the week. We'll let this I one. I thought we were taking off until August. We're gonna take. We're gonna marinate, <laughs> but you know. What's are we gonna be back to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? Next week, not tomorrow. We'll be back to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We're gonna let this one sit here because we've got the award in our pocket. We want the spotlight to be on Dan for <laughs> as long as possible. We're gonna. Well, you he know, also got to factor in the parade that I'm sure is coming, and I'm gonna have to take some time <laughs> off to do the media tour and also possibly go to the White House. There's there's some things in play right now that I assume is gonna make my life a little busy. We need to recharge. We sure. need to let you. Kind of lose your head for a while. Right. Learn what it's like to, to be a celebrity. But it had, I mean, how much the season was much. Imagine if we didn't have this podcast this season. It would be great, but it wouldn't be. I don't. It's added so much to our work. So we're thankful to everyone listening. It's been really cool. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Download it multiple times. I feel like we we can't ask too much more from our listeners, though. I mean, we we don't even know what a Stitcher is, and we just won the <laughs> Stitcher award. Uh, we're on the iTunes Best of 2013. Oh my gosh. It was a wildly successful 2013 season for the podcast. But we want more, and we right. will continue to work hard to give you high-end product. Right. Next year, next year is like we just won award. the Super Bowl. We're the 2002 Bucks. Next year, we're just all going to want more money. Problems are going to happen. <laughs> Acrimony. You guys are going to hate me. The management <laughs> style, and we're going to go down the tube. Well, my agent has already advised me to hold out. This is your talking. agent, Beth? I've got like six people on Tavi. It's more like a cabal. I've already demanded a trade to the Eisen podcast. <laughs> you know, he, I wanted to be around a franchise quarterback. All right, guys. <laughs> let's get out of here. Let's, uh, let's go home. Uh, again, thanks for listening this season. And uh, we will be back later in the week from the studio with high-quality sound. Uh, thank you especially to Kave, our producer in New Jersey, who yes. is amazingly still here with us. He's been trapped in New Jersey because we are still here, and he has to still be here. So thank you, Kave. A, it's, been, it's been great. A Dan Quinn-like performance. We didn't know much about <laughs> him, and yeah. suddenly he's the star of yeah. the show. Integral. Get a head coach job somewhere. Um, that's it. Signing off. This is Dan Hammond signing off for the mailman, the sizzler, the boss, killer Kave. Until Thursday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss in the land of saints and sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... 
Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.